Hello, and welcome to Storytelling for Business, the podcast that helps you build better customer relationships by telling stories your clients want to hear. I'm Katie Flamen. I'm a voiceover artist specialising in business storytelling. I work from my own recording studio and I do a bit of everything, corporate videos, ad campaigns, training modules and answer phone messages. My clients include Pearson, Pfizer and Volkswagen, helping them all to share brand stories and business developments. But why all the buzz about storytelling? Can it really make a difference to your marketing? In this series, we're finding out. I'm talking to storytelling experts and regular business owners too. And today's guest is a bit of both. I met Michael Humphrey at a training day for small business owners on using digital tools and getting more tech savvy. And I thought you'd enjoy meeting him too. So let's go. You might think digital is something new, but today's guest has been immersed in the world of ones and zeros for 25 years. Michael Humphrey is the co-founder of Digibubble, a digital marketing agency which helps businesses with websites, online advertising, e-commerce platforms, digital marketing, and they'll basically hold your hand as you navigate the ever-evolving digital landscape. Tech developments move, as we all know, at lightning speed, and there's a lot to keep up with. For some, digital advertising is a no-brainer. For others, it can be a daunting prospect. Michael is committed to helping his clients to achieve a positive return on their investments in the digital world. Digibubble believes in nurturing relationships, building trust and supporting clients for long-term digital success. And I'm so happy Michael's here. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me. So Digibubble does quite a lot of things. How did it all come about? Well, I suppose right at the early stages, I was... GCSEs at school, so was that 95, 96, I was doing my GCSEs. I went to college with not too many GCSEs, but enough to get there. And some, and I really had just a bit of lack of direction at that point. And I sat with a career advisor. I always remember, it stays with me. And she sat and said to me, you, um, you've thought about this internet that's coming up, the www dot is going to, might stick, it's quite good. And I was always one foot in, coding one foot in out and about so I thought it could it could work out quite well yeah I just I just went at it I decided to study it for college in my second so I got A levels and GMVQs that sort of stuff and then I went on to university and studied advertising and digital communication and then from there I got my first job about 2003 working in digital and this was just when the newspapers were coming away from print or not coming away from print waking up to the internet and everybody thought it was a bit of a fad. So I was out there with my little my little three-piece suit, hitting the streets as a 21-year-old lad. And, that, and that's where it all started, really. A good bit of sound career advice. And yeah, I've just been at it ever since, really. So what was, what when you were coding, like when you were at school, what, what sort of stuff were you doing? Oh, games mainly. So you, you used to get a couple of computers, the ZX Spectrum was a game, the Amiga, Commodore 64. And you used to get a magazine delivered to your house once a month. And on the back, they give you the code for a new game. So me and my brother used to sit there for maybe a week before we could start playing the game, coding it and writing it and playing around. And after a while, you, you sort of learned that you could change the shirt color of your little character in the game, or you could change the sunset timing, or you, you started being able to break the code down. It really got quite enjoyable. So yeah, and I've never I've never been into it enough that I could make a career out of it. I, I still don't code now. I've got a business partner, Keith, 
he does all the real heavy lifting and the real brains now. But yeah, a little bit of hobby coding here and there, I don't mind. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? How that's and how the careers advisor and back back then people were like, oh, this this internet thing. And now, I mean, is it possible to have a business without a website, for example? Do you think? Yes, I do. And we do we do talk to a lot of companies where you think it's just not appropriate it's just not right and and sometimes if you if you have a look at we've just had our bathroom done the the plumber hasn't got a website and he's stacked up with work until the mid part of next year the reason is because quality talks so it doesn't matter where you what you do or how you broadcast or the message that you put online if fundamentally the workings of your business are honest and your integrity is there and you work well and you produce a good end product the website is, is is sort of a means to an end. It's a way of getting additional customers if you need it. But if you've got a good word of mouth or a good referral stream, then, yeah, it doesn't need to take priority. I mean, have one. If people are doing their research and they're looking up, you know, I want to get the number of this van that just drove past me that looks like could be good, then be available, be there. But how far down the rabbit hole I think is a, is a better way of looking at it. You could just have a presence that gets you found and people know where you are and then make sure you've got a digital platform that allows you to evolve. So if your aspirations decide to pick it up a little bit in the future, then yeah, be ready for it. Mm-hmm. We do a bit of Google ads and we're a digital business, but how we gain our business is through offline means. I do a lot of business networking. I do thought leadership talks. I'm part of BNI across the region so these are referrals these are relationships that i've built with people that they know actually mike's the go-to guy he's going to give me some good advice and i'll always put a number against the project i'll always quote if people are asking for quotes but they'll always find that the advice they get is honest and decent and i think we we get most of our business from those referrals from those relationships and we spend a lot of time and money on our on our website and it generates maybe 20%, 10% 20%, 10 to 20% of our, our actual new business inquiries come from it. Really interesting. I think I think relationships is what it's all about. And this podcast has, we bang on about it, being authentic, being honest, being real and building relationships with people. And, and it's all about it's all about trust, isn't it, really? That's always a hard one to convey because especially online, anybody can write a website any of, of varying degrees you can get the content and say we're the most forward-thinking company blue sky flagpole waving company you've ever found get all of the marketing blur get ai and robots to write you the most appealing content you've ever done but if actually the fundamental root of your business is that you're not very good that that will soon that will soon work its way to the surface yeah or you're you're either not very good or you're pretending to be something that you're not but yeah I, I agree. And you you said about AI. I mean, how much are people who are who are chatting with you now, they they're like, oh, Michael's into digital. He must know or care about AI. What what's your take on it? This is quite funny. I think having a longer career through digital, I've seen this cycle happen quite a lot. So very early in my career, I was sitting with press buyers, big power suits, three-piece power suits, cigars in the office, all this sort of they're telling, no, the internet is a fad. It won't stick around. No one's going to ever buy anything online. You know, is the few, is going to kill all our jobs. What's happening to the journalist? What's happening about authentic journalism? And it's evolved. That is policed itself. It's been regulated. It's evolved with the market. It's found its niche and it serves a really valid purpose. Five years into the internet, affiliate marketing comes along. 
and everyone's on rev share everyone's on this no traditional ad buying online is the best way you know that's a fad it won't stick there's no authenticity you're like okay cool and it just sort of then programmatic came along so we're doing retargeting we're doing data profiling oh that won't happen that's not regulated it's a fad and now we've just got the same with ai you know everyone's saying it's a fad it won't last our jobs are at risk it doesn't offer value it doesn't offer integrity and it's a really powerful tool and i think we like with everything we just like to embrace it we're a tech-led marketing company so it's in our best interest to make sure that we're at the forefront of these conversations and being able to use the tool appropriately. And I think you can't replace the value of genuine thought, you know, of somebody actually putting down an opinion. And AI hasn't got an opinion. You have to tell it what your opinion is. So it can really support content. It can really support companies that are looking for a cheaper way of building out content. It can really help content writers sort of get over the initial steps of staring at a blank piece of paper. It's got lots and lots of applications. My personal favorite application for it is asking it to do an Excel formula. So with the months of my life, I must have been staring at an Excel sheet trying to work out why I keep getting errors. And now you just put it into AI and just say, give me a formula to sort column A from column B and make it blue. And it gives you the it gives you the string back. And that can be accelerated as well. And the same can happen with how we've got coders in the office. If we're coming across a string that's creating an issue, plug it into AI and tell me where is my issue? What is the what is the problem? What am I doing wrong? So it's got a real good application. It's like a spotlight, a problem solving spotlight tool kind of thing. Hmm. I think for for me, I've got I've got Google Analytics four on my website, and and I know it's important to have Google analyzing my website and how many people are visiting and how long they stay and what pages they like and and all that kind of thing. But opening up Google Analytics four just makes my knees go weak. And actually, maybe I could ask AI to open it up for me and tell me what lessons I could learn. Is that something it can do? Yeah. Yeah, you can take a full Excel sheet, so export all of your data from GA4 as much as you can onto a CSV. There's a little plus icon in ChatGPT, or most of your systems that are using that will allow you to upload a document. So you, you put all of that in and say, okay, give me a demographic breakdown based on season, and it will give you, okay, women interact with your, your website more through the summer months. Men do quarter four. And you'll really get a good breakdown of, of how it's working. But again, like with everything, it's about what you put in. So if the data you're pulling out is weak, the, the information you're going to get from the back of it is weak. But if you're with GA4 and you've got a good analytics platform on your website, there's no reason you can't export that, plug it into an AI and ask that to break down what's going on. And that will really start painting the story. And that's it, isn't it? There's a story there behind the numbers and the data. And I guess... You have to figure out what that story is, and then you have to package it up in a way that isn't like death by PowerPoint to to actually then connect with that audience in an emotional way that's going to hook them back in. That's a that's a tricky little maneuver, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think it's finding the story. But I think once you, I'm quite. I've always been quite good at looking at the data. And building out a pattern of what's what's going on, and sort of putting myself 
sort of separating yourself away from your business because we're very good at sort of laying in jargon laying in our own opinion we've been sitting in the market for 20 odd years so how we conduct ourselves and how we interact with the industry is very different to how our customers are going to do it so it allows you to sort of build out that pitch actually we had, we had a really good one with it when i was doing these grow digital talks that we met at we had a, a guy come along and he said with his data he's like i can't work out why my mobile I get loads of traffic on mobile but not a lot on desktop but then everybody buys on desktop so we're like okay so we started to look at his data and this is just sitting in the room with his laptop and we could see that the new visitor count on mobile was really really high it's about 80 percent new visitors coming from mobile everyone on desktop is a returning visitor so what that tells us is that people are prospecting they're doing their research on the train they're doing something where they're thinking about you on the go you are a point of contact at that point but they're not going to interact with you they're not going to put their card details and they're not going to purchase from your business until they're at home in front of their computer or sat in the office sat in the office yeah. something like that so then you start thinking okay now we've got a different level of marketing to go at it so actually the message that we put out for mobile is more brand it's more focused on the story around authenticity around the quality around congratulating them for finding the right place everything that we can look at we can also look at the keywords they search to look at you if they're looking for a high quality carpenter near me then the message you put out to the, these news guys are, are around quality is around the sort of trigger points that get them in and we saw that there was a huge increase in the amount of the conversions against desktop. And we saw that in the last couple of weeks that it's been going just for running a little ad campaign on the side. So it makes a lot of difference being able to break that down and, and paint a, a picture and actually write it down a lot. So if you ever did it, you know, I drew my A-levels and all of this sort of stuff. You had to write down who's your customer. You had to really describe who they were. Oh, this is Tony. Dream is a customer dog avatar. From stuff that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you build that out. Oh, tell me the, about Tony. Similar can <laughs> yeah, oh, he's a really interesting guy. It doesn't exist, but it's really, I've got his life story. And But even that now, data allows you to paint a picture. Also, what's the percentage chance that this person's going to be female? 60% if you're looking at your audience. Okay, you can start breaking that down into, well, how many of those are transacting or going through abandons? Or, so you could start bringing up a list of saying, right, the highest potential to transact with my business is men over 45. The The people that are going to abandon the car are women under 25. So you can have a look at the car process. And if it feels a bit formal, if it feels a bit, there's too many steps, you've you sort of lost the beautiful design flow that you had through your website stops at checkout because you haven't given that the design time. Then the more emotive creatures in the world, which forgive the broad brush stroking terrier tops, typically women, you know, they'll sort of switch. Oh, this has got a bit formal now. Terms and conditions, big, heavy, right? Oh, I've got to agree to this and that. And then there's a pop up that comes in. No, you've lost me here. I was part of an emotional journey with you. And now you've just slammed me over loads of terms and conditions. So actually soften it out. Okay, before you proceed, we have to go through some legalities. Is this okay? Is this okay? And that's and just, just the language, isn't it? Steps. Mm. Just the language, mm. yeah. So you can really, but knowing what language to use is is going to be key to the audience that you're in front and of. Knowing so yeah, it's a real... exactly who that person is, imagining them sat on their sofa or wherever and knowing what they might be thinking. And you're right, I mean, 
I, I didn't study marketing, but I've, I've learned about it in the last 10 years from running my business. I kind of just used to you know, post about some things on the internet. And um, now... Still work <laughs> Well, <laughs> yes and, and no, but I've, I've learned, I've studied marketing. And then I've also, from the scripts I get from my clients, who are you know, a lot of them businesses doing marketing. So I've kind of, I've had a lot of free insights into their processes and what they're thinking about. But one of those things was, was create your dream client avatar. And I was like, well, I don't know. I can look back at who's contacted me for work and figure out are they men or women. But beyond that, it's really hard without that data to actually kind of populate that that image and, and colour it in. And now you can do it with your GA4. You'll be able to sit there and say, okay, my ideal customer lives in this town. They they will have a lifetime value of X amount. They've, they're, they're male or female. They're in this age. They've got active interests in apparel, hobbies and games, family days out. They've got an Apple iPhone version 5. You know, they like to spend about four to five minutes browsing bef- between between now and then. So your analytics builds out that dream customer profile. So it's fair enough that you sit there in your mind because probably when you go through that exercise, any time I've gone through that exercise, first place I look is the corner of the room. So I'm thinking, oh, um, let me have a think. And it shouldn't it shouldn't be you thinking. You should be looking at your data and saying, right, well, I've got my business and, yeah, I had ambitions for who I'm going to reach when I first started it. But now I'm 10 years in, who the lifetime value of our customers. For us, it worked out that we – we ended up finding a niche in engineering and manufacturing companies. And we never set out to hit engineering and manufacturing. We started out with loads of personal trainers and all sorts of stuff. So where we found it is that engineering and manufacturing companies had the passion, had the expertise, have evolved something themselves, usually really, really risk, like high risk level to what engineering, they've had to put a lot of money to get to where they are. So they're not afraid of spending money correctly if you can give them the confidence that they're investing well then you're more likely into the door and for us from sort of outsourced digital marketing when you go and sit with them and you say okay who's looking after your website there's probably some poor guy sitting on reception be like oh it's, it's me i do the instagram and the tweets and the emails and ga4 is not quite working but it does a bit and we've got a mailchimp account but i don't know where the url is or these sort of things happen. So actually coming in and say, we're going to come and support you because you've got expertise, you've got passion and a huge range of content and insights to share. So yeah, we really sort of crafted out that niche and it was our stats that told us. And then now, so now I say, if I'm actively pursuing a customer, if I'm going to pay to acquire a lead, it's going to be within engineering and manufacturing and they're going to match a very specific profile. And we know the lifetime value of that. So if we are employing a third party company, lead generation, anything like that. We can go to them and say, no, you need to generate this lead for six pounds, seven pounds. And we know that we're going to close three and five of them. So fill your boots. So what, just to, to kind of clarify what you mean by that, it's going to cost you six or seven pounds in digital advertising. So like Google ads or presumably Google ads. And that's, and that's going to turn around a lead worth is do you have to figure out what what the end amount is going to be worth yeah so we i always call it you reverse engineer let's say if we build a website for a customer worth a thousand pounds and we know that we're closing 
one in 10 leads that come through, we're closing into a thousand pounds of business average, then we know that we've got a thousand pounds of profit to spend on to, to acquire 10 leads. That'd be a hundred pounds per lead. But our margins are only going to be 20% of that, maybe. So that £100 per lead goes to £20 per lead. Now we only want to spend, what's that, 15 25% of our budget on marketing. So now we're looking at something closer to a £5, £2.50, between £2.50 to £5 per lead because we're going to spend, let's say, 50 quid to get 10 leads in the door knowing that How many of we, those are going we're going to close one yeah. of them worth yeah. £1,000. So... Yeah, getting that, we've got like that tool that we did during the workshop, which more than happy to circulate that tool if you need to, but we, we're big on ROI. And actually the first thing we like to do is sit down with a customer and work that out because there is eye-opening when they see it. Oh, right, okay. So what if I, I actually need to spend £2.50 a lead? Because a lot of people have the misconception, oh, okay, I'm happy to spend £1,000 on an inquiry if that gets me £1,000 worth of business. You say, well, you you're paying for a flat line. You're playing the effectively failure. That's not scale. That's not growth. That's you wasting time, really, because you could have yeah. done nothing and you'll be in exactly the same place. <laughs> yeah. And it's quite strange. Sometimes I sit in front of people and they're like, this is eye-opening. Why haven't we ever done this? I think, I, how, is, how have you not done this? I did, and I don't know whether it's just a, a common sense vein or just people not being aware or anything. I, th I think a lot of it is a awareness that you think, right, you've got Google Analytics. You know that it's telling you what your e-commerce basket values are like. But what do I do with it? Once I've got it all, what happens? What now? So actually sitting with someone and just sort of leveling that out and having that conversation ends up being really key. So, yeah, we quite enjoy sitting with customers having that initial conversation. It gives them a lot of confidence that we're, we're heading in the right direction and we've got the main we've got a goal there's too much a market that's a bit ethereal and just oh it might work and good luck and you know let's, let's let's do it make it happen make it make it return on on your investment well i think i've only got one question really um left which is where's your story going to go in the next kind of five years you talked about maybe still being around for some of those businesses that you've helped or spoken to but what about you personally or in your business Got any um, ridiculous goals? There, there is one ridiculous goal. I'll, I'll save it for the end. But I, I think business-wise, we, we've we just tipped over the edge of having something that's scalable now. And and so for the next five years at least, what, what we want to do is we've got – there's six of us as, as far as Digibubble is concerned. Four of us are in the office full-time, and that as a foundation crew is outstanding. We've really – we've gone through a fair few hires – um, we've had our ups and our downs, but right now we're sitting on a really solid foundation of people that have got the right integrity, are willing to learn, really, really positive. It's a great environment to be in, and it's where the company, where I'd like the company to be, just how it's ethos, and I enjoy walking in in the morning. So what I, the, the next five years for Digibubble is that we want to expand that, but not lose the values, not lose that enjoyment, make sure that we keep that it's been really hard especially as me and my business partner keith friends that go way back so it's been really hard to make sure that we still enjoy ourselves and still create a professional environment that's not just two mates messing about and now it feels like we've done that and we've got the right crew so while that's happening i've got i'm just putting together a proposal i've been working at a proposal for the last couple of years with hawley town 
where we're trying to build a community work hub. So it's um, in in the high street. So they've got loads of money flying around for reimagining the high street and level upping and all of this sort of stuff. So yeah, we're building Works Perfect. It's called. Mm-hmm. We're just going through an application for some grants now, but it's a walk-in work centre. It's got thirty-two desks in it, but it's also got two pop-up retail units in the in the front window. So if you're a small local jewellery maker and you just want to see if there's capacity on the high street for you to get some test footfall, it test it out, come into Works Perfect, take the window. We've lined that up. I've been talking to the Department of Work and Pensions because it always frustrates me how the benefit system kills entrepreneurial spirit. Because if I sit there and say, all right, I, I want my, you can't call it the dole anymore, but bed allowance, but job allowance, or that's what they call it. So I want my money. And, um, but they say, okay, well, have you applied for five jobs this week? So I haven't. No, I've been working on the next best idea. It's brilliant. No, no, no. You need to go, here's one Tesco driver, check out Lidl, Street Sweeper, Bin Man. They're all there. You can go get a job now. And you think, oh. And if you don't put these CVs in and try hard, you won't, you won't get your money. So we're talking with them to run a mentoring program through Works Perfect that allows you to beep in. And as long as you're assigning your hours to Works Perfect on evolving your own business and you've got a mentor, then it can work towards your job allowance, counts towards your credits. So I just think, I just a little bit sideways thinking on that. And that's been, that was sort of coming out of COVID, that started. So yeah, we think we're just now starting to look at some money and get the plan together. So yeah, I think next five years, that might be something. That's brilliant. Thank you so, so much. Well, it's been a a real eye-opener talking to you, Michael, about websites and beyond. Um, So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Katie. Did you find that useful? I hope there was something in that chat for everyone, whatever your level of digital knowledge. So what did I learn? Well, here are my key takeaways. One, don't panic if your company isn't crushing the internet. Not every business even needs a website. But having some kind of online presence will make you discoverable when potential clients are doing their research. And if your website or Facebook page includes reviews from happy customers, even better. Two, there are stories hidden in your business data. And you can use AI tools to find them if you want. If your website has analytics, An AI tool like ChatGPT can look at that data and give you useful insights on the nitty-gritty of what's happening at the point of sale or when and how people interact with your site. 3. Digital advertising isn't for everyone, but it can be very successful if you know exactly who your ideal client is, how many leads it takes to generate a sale and how much your average sale is worth. Then you can work out how much to spend on a pay-per-click campaign. Check the show notes for Michael's handy calculator tool to help you figure this all out. Four, don't forget what Mike said about relationships. At the end of the day, if you're good at what you do, friendly and helpful person, your business will grow, whether you're a digital whiz or not. And if you'd like Michael Humphrey's help with your digital marketing, do give Digibubble a shout. The contact details are in the show notes. And tell Michael I sent you. Next time, from digital to physical, using your body. 
to get your story straight. So what is a story? First of all, a story has to have some very basic ingredients. Number one, it needs to have a character and it needs to have an event. And then it needs to have real emotion and transformation. Things can't go back to being the same. Otherwise, why would you bother telling it. That's somatic story coach Stacia Keo with a formula for story success and tips for getting out of your head and into your body. And you don't even have to wait. Episode 19, Physical Body and Soul, is sitting in your phone waiting for you. Well done to previous me for making that happen. But actual right now me needs a cup of tea, so it's time for this me to go. I'm Katie Flamen. That's quite enough of that. And this is Storytelling for Business. Till next time, goodbye.